What a great opportunity to sing the praise of God. We're in Psalm 37 this morning as we make our journey through portions of the book of Psalms. Another of my favorite Psalms. It's a lengthy one. And so for the sake of time, I'll be omitting just one portion of it, but we'll be referring to it through the message. This is Psalm 37. It is the Word of God, so let's give careful hearing to the reading of it. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. You will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. If you'll drop down with me to verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his mouth speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I've seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in his native soil. Then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, and behold the upright, for the beauty of peace will have a posterity. For the man of peace will have a posterity. But transgressors will altogether be destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked 
and saves them because they take refuge in him. Again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we love your word. We love its beauty. We love its power. We know it is true in every respect, in every regard. And I pray as we ponder portions of this great psalm today that you would be our encouragement and our help and our strength. And the words of this psalm might undergird our hearts and our souls and our minds and give us confidence as we live our lives before you day by day. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. In this season of Thanksgiving, we've talked about already some this morning, I would hope that the very top of your list of things for which you are thankful is your relationship with God. The fact that you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. What a great blessing it is, isn't it, to be a child of God? What a great blessing to believe in Jesus and to know that you are forgiven by Him, that you have been redeemed by Him, that you are safe in Him. And when you die, you will close your eyes in death and open your eyes to see the face of your Savior. What a rich blessing that is. It is a blessing. But as great a blessing as it is, it doesn't come without some complications. One of the biggest problems we face as believers is that after our conversion, we still have to live in this world. Once you come to faith in Christ, you know you, you go through a transfer of citizenship. Your citizenship now is in heaven. Your heart is in a different place. You long to be somewhere else. And yet, God calls us to live out our faith here until he calls you home or until he returns. Now, folks, that's a problem. God calls us to live out our faith in a culture where we do not fit. That probably has never been more clear, at least in my personal experience, than it was in this, during this past presidential election. You know, we're given a choice between candidates who represent the kingdom of this world and not the kingdom of heaven. And I hope you noticed, as we read through Psalm 37, that it gives us this rather clear distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous, between those who live for God and those who do not, those who delight in the law of the Lord and those who reject it. Lots of the Psalms do that. All the way through the Bible, there's this clear distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. And the Bible makes it clear it's in the midst of an evil, disobedient, and wicked world that you and I are to live out lives of faith and obedience and holiness. God calls on us, you know, to be the salt of the earth. We're to be the light of the world. We're here to make a difference to point people to Christ, to show them that He is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. But sometimes, living in that dichotomy is hard. 
And sometimes one of the most difficult things for believers is to see that so often life appears to be so unfair. Sometimes believers struggle while unbelievers seem to live a life of ease and prosper. You know, if you, live, if you look at some of the list of the top 10 or 50 wealthiest people in the country and the world, if you look at that list, rarely, if ever, is a believer on that list. And you look at it and you wonder, why is it, is, why is it so? Why do the wicked prosper? And that's the question that Psalm 37 answers for us. Why is it that so many people who do not appear at all to care about God live with so many blessings from God? Why do so many unbelievers apparently, it seems, live lives of ease while believers sometimes struggle to make it in life? Why is that? That's the question and answer we find in Psalm 37. Now, David is reflecting on this as someone who's been there and done this, or been there and done that. If you look at verse 25, he says, I've been young, and now I'm old. David's looking back over life. He's doing it as an old man, a man who's seen a lot, a man who's done a lot, a man who's experienced a lot, a man who's learned a lot. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David's reflecting on life. This psalm is difficult to outline. It really is kind of a collection of wise sayings, much like portions of the Proverbs, which are especially hard to outline. So instead of going verse by verse uh, through this psalm, it would take us a long time to do that. We're going to try to draw for you this morning eight principles that I think we find here that help us deal with what appears many times to be the unfairness of life. Deal with that question of why it is the wicked prosper while Christians often struggle. Eight things. First, David simply says, don't fret about it. Look at verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. You know, it's a, just a natural tendency, especially when you're struggling in your life, to fret over those who have no spiritual interest and don't appear to have difficulties in their own. It's easy for us to become quite envious of them. And yet David's message really throughout the early portion of this psalm is don't fret about that. Don't worry about that. Look at verse 1 again. Do not fret because of evildoers. He says it again in verse 7. Middle of the verse. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Verse 8. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Now, to fret means to get all worked up. It means to be agitated about something. 
to fret is the exact opposite of having peace of mind and heart. And David says not to get that way about what you see out here in life. Don't fret about the seeming unfairness of life. Then he also says, don't be envious of others who may have more than you have. Do not be envious, he says, of wrongdoers. The book of Proverbs tells us much of the same thing. If you flip over, keep your finger in Psalm 37, flip over to Proverbs chapter 23. In verse 1, excuse me, verse 17, he says this, Do not fret your, or excuse me, do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Verse 24, or chapter 24, verse 1, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. And if you drop down to verses 19 and 20 of that chapter, Do not fret because of evildoers, or be envious of the wicked. For there will be no future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. You see, there's a reason why we're not to envy those kinds of people. He tells us in verse 2, For they will wither quickly like the grass, and fade like the green herb. Same thing we found right there in Proverbs twenty-four twenty. For there will be no more future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. And that runs all the way through Psalm 37. Look at verses 35 and 36, for example. I've seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in his native soil. That's how he appears in life. Verse 36, then he passed away. And lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. A little perspective goes the long, a long way, doesn't it? And here David is, is showing us the long view of things. It's so easy, isn't it, to get caught up in the things of this world, to be enamored by the things of this world, to, to desire the things of this world more than we desire the things of God. It's easy to envy those who are successful in this world's view, who have accumulated a lot of stuff, who wield a lot of power. It's easy to envy the wicked sometimes, isn't it? Because sometimes they prosper and they do so well in life. What does David say? Don't fret over it. Do not envy them. Keep it all in perspective. I want to talk to the young people for just a moment. If you're 21 and under, or if you're, even if you're 30 and under, if you're 80 and under, consider yourselves all young this morning. Look, don't fret, don't worry about those people who in this life appear to be the most popular, who have the most attention, who have the most things, who get to go to the most places, who have the most freedom from their parents. Don't envy those people. 
because they seem like they're doing so well right now, but there's a day coming when it won't be so much fun. Look for right role models. Look for the people who set a good example for you of what it is to be someone who loves the Lord and who desires to live for Him. Look, I know, I know it's so easy, so easy to envy those who have more than we have or can do more than we can do. But the Bible warns us against that. Do not fret. Don't fret about that seeming unfairness. It's not fair. <laughs> and have you heard that before? It's not fair. I don't have that. I don't get to do that. I don't get to go there. Don't fret. Don't fret. And don't envy. Don't envy. Second, I promise not to spend so much time on each of these eight points. And if you see me going like this today, my glasses are again out of focus because my eyes have changed. So I'm struggling a little bit. I, I, do, I see better without them sometimes. So thank you for your patience for a few more weeks. Second, David says to trust and obey. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and cultivate faithfulness. It's been said that faith cures fretting. And it isn't just faith that's important. Notice, he says, trust in the Lord. That is, have faith in God and do what? Trust in the Lord and do good. You see, trust and obedience always go together. Faith and obedience are always linked in the Bible. True saving faith always produces a desire for obedience. And I think there's a real reason why verse 3 comes where it does. Because of the best ways to alleviate this fretting over what you see in life that appears to be unfair, one of the easiest, best ways to resolve this envy that you have of those who prosper in this world is to, is to trust in the Lord and to do good. To have as your priorities to trust Him and to live for him. You remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, you know, which is the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus said, well, he summarized them. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the way in which we get away from this sense of fretting over unfairness and of dealing with the envy of the wicked who prosper is by having the right sense of purpose in life. It's not all about us. And we're going to talk about that more in just a little bit. It's not about us. It's, it's, about, it's about God first. It's about others next. You know, when, when, when Jesus answered that question, he didn't say, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love yourself the same way. He said, love others in the same way you love yourself. 
Trust in the Lord and do good. You know, it's James who, who talks the most about this connection between faith and obedience. You know, he said, you know, you want, you want to see my faith? Look at my life. Our, our faith is demonstrated by the way that we live, by the works that our faith produces. And so the Bible tells us to, to trust in the Lord and to do good. Third, the third way is, is to delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 4 simply says that. Delight yourself in the Lord. and You know, a good question to ask every once in a while to ask yourself is, what is it? What is it in which I really delight? What is it? What is it I want most in life? It would probably be a bit embarrassing this morning if we were to ask, and I'm saying including myself in that, if we were to go around saying, do you really delight in the Lord? Do you find your greatest delight in Him? Do you delight picking up the Bible and reading Scripture as much as you delight in picking up the remote and turning on the TV. And that gets real personal, doesn't it? That's personal to me. But the Bible says that we're to delight ourselves in the Lord. And, and the more you delight yourself in Him, and, and the less you delight yourself in the things of this world, the easier it will be to deal with what you see out there. That seeming unfairness, the, the prosperity of the wicked and all the rest. Delight yourself in the Lord. Make Him your priority. And then he goes on to say there's a promise attached to that. End of verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now there's some people who have come to that verse and said, Ah, the Lord's given me a blank check. I can just fill in whatever I want and God will give it to me. But you've got to think through what the Bible's saying there. That promise comes after an admonition. The admonition is to lie to yourself in the Lord. And I think you're truly doing that. If your delight really is in Him and if you really want what He wants, what are going to be the desires of your heart? <laughs> You're going to desire what He wants. You're, you're, you're going to seek what He wants for your life. So it's not a blank check to fill in the blank with what you want, but it's, a, it's the opportunity to fill in the blank with what you know God wants for you. And I promise that when you fill in the blank that way, He will give you those desires. When your desires are in line with his desires, you can be assured he will give you every desire of your heart. Then there's a fourth. You'll find it in verse 5. And it is commit your way to the Lord. You, you, are you seeing a pattern here? Verse 3 it's trust in the Lord. Verse 5, it's delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, it's 
commit your way to the Lord? So far, what? It's, it's all about the Lord. And that's kind of the simple answer, isn't it? The more we make life all about Him, the less it's going to be all about this other stuff. Do you see how He's giving us the antidote to fretting over it? When we trust in the Lord and when we delight ourselves in Him, commit our way to Him, we find His way to be the best way at all times. I know that it sounds backwards in a world that is centered upon the things of the things of the flesh. You know, our, our, our culture tells us to, to commit, our, commit our way to, to what we think is best for us. Gary mentioned self-centeredness in Sunday school this morning. We live in a self-centered world. And, and, and our culture tells us to grab everything that we can get, enjoy all the, the pleasures that are out there, you know, again, the, the philosophy of life by which our, our world operates is he who dies with the most toys wins. Our culture says commit your way to having the most, accomplishing the most, doing the most. While the Bible says commit your way, your life, to the Lord. Then it says... There's a promise given there too. Trust also in him and he will do it. Trust also in him and he will do it. What will he do? What will, what will God do? God will always do what is best and right for you. When you commit your way to the Lord, when you trust in Him, folks, He will do it. He will confirm His way and His will in your life. And He will accomplish what is always best for you. There's a fifth thing. And that is to rest in the Lord. Verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Maybe this is the hardest admonition yet. Is simply to rest in the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to rest in the Lord? Well, from the Reformed perspective and our understanding of God's Word, that means we rest in God's providence in our lives. We rest in His hand at work in us. We rest in the knowledge that God always does what is best for us. You know, Jesus said, Come to me, all ye who are weary in heart, and I will give you rest. Rest. It's rest from the rat race of life. It's rest from, the, from the, this sense that you've just got to get it all done today. That you've got to have it all now. 
you got to experience everything that's out there to fulfill your life. You've just got to have it. You've got to do it. You've got to experience it. Folks, that will wear you out. When, when life is all about you, it will wear you out. That's why the Bible says, rest in the Lord. Rest in Him and wait patiently for Him. Again, wait for Him to accomplish His purpose in your life. The Bible says God's ways are not always our ways. His timing is not always our timing. He doesn't do things the way we would do them. He doesn't do them when we would do them. We have to rest in Him and wait on Him. Then there's a sixth thing. Verse 8 says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Now, you might think that's an odd place for that phrase to be there. That's an odd place, isn't it? For God all of a sudden to begin to talk about not being angry. What's he talking about being angry about? I think he's talking about not being angry at God. And not being angry at God's providence. And this is right in the middle, folks, of resting in the Lord, waiting on him, trusting in him, allowing him to accomplish his purpose in your life. And right in the middle of that, he says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. And, and you know, where the, the days are hard or easy, where life is pleasant or unpleasant, we know the hand of the Lord is guiding us. And, and, and sometimes when God's way isn't our way, Sometimes it's easy to buck up against us, isn't it? Ever, ever done that? Said, God, I, this isn't what I want, God. This isn't the path I chose, God. Did you ever have your, all your plans made? Excited about going somewhere, doing something, and all of a sudden something providentially gets in the way and you can't go. And there are times in life when I got angry because my plans got derailed by the providence of God. The Bible says, cease from anger, forsake wrath, don't fret. See, it's right there in the context. Don't fret. He leads only to evil doing. And this theme really runs all the way through verse 26. This sense of God's providence over our lives. Look, for example, at verses 12 and 13. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. But look at God's reaction. The Lord laughs at him. He, he sees his day coming. Verse 16. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of the wicked. Verse 23. For those blessed by him will inherit the land. And those cursed by him will be cut off. Look, God's way is always best. It's always right. And therefore, we are to 
not be angry at him for his good providence in our lives. And there's a seventh thing, and that is found in verse 27, where he says, depart from evil and do good. It's very similar to what we saw back in uh, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Here is depart from evil and do good. We're to, to leave the path of wickedness and pursue the path of holiness. And look how God describes those who do that. Verses, uh, verse 28, for example. For the Lord loves justice, does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. Verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Verse 30, the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom. His tongue speaks justice. Verse 31, the law of the Lord is in his heart. His steps do not slip. It's when we are pursuing the Lord's will and the Lord's way, we find the richest blessing in life. And then there's one more. It's found in verse 34, where he says, wait on the Lord and keep his way. That reminds us of what we already saw back in verse uh, uh, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. It says, wait for the Lord and keep his way. It's not just passively waiting for the Lord. It's obediently waiting on him. Doing what he's already given you to do. Living your life for him. Trusting him to direct your path. I want you to go back to verse 25 and 26. Where he says, I've been old, young, and now I'm old. Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends. And his descendants are a blessing. Now, the Bible's not saying there that the righteous never experience poverty. It's not saying that uh, believers don't go through difficult times. Of course they do in God's providence. And the promise is God always provides for his people. Verse 26, all day long he is gracious and lends. His descendants are a blessing. And it's all about perspective, isn't it? Each of these eight things, it's a matter of our perspective. Where is our heart? Where is our focus? Is it on ourselves, on this world, or is it on the Lord and His goodness to us? The way to deal with this seeming unfairness of life is to have the right perspective, and that's the perspective Jesus had. Look, you think life's hard for us sometimes? It was really hard for Him. Sometimes we forget about Jesus and his human nature, all that he experienced and suffered. You talk about unfairness. There was all this wealth in so many places where Jesus lived, and yet the Bible says the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. Son of Man has no place 
to lay his head. Think about that for a moment. And yet Jesus did not fret over it. He wasn't envious about it. He continued to trust in his Father. He took his delight in him. He rested in his Father's sovereignty. He sought to do his Father's will. That's what he calls on us to do. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? Then all these other things will be added to you. Keep the right focus. Seek first the kingdom. And God promises to add to you everything that you need for your life to be content and productive. It's almost redundant, isn't it? Where the Bible says, Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait for the Lord. It's all about the Lord. And when He's your focus, everything else comes into perspective. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. And I pray today that we would find it to be a means of grace in our lives to help us to live lives of faithfulness and of trust, resting in you and doing your will, trusting and obeying, and finding that peace that only you can give when we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.